it speaks of how Yosef brings the Dibara'a, the Lashon Hara, if you will, that he had about the brothers. He went and reported that to Yaakov Avinu, which of course did not endear Yosef to his brothers. And the entire story of his going down to Mitzrayim ensued. The Pasuk uses an interesting choice of verb about the way Yosef spoke this Dibara'a about his brothers to his father. You would expect the Pasuk to say, by Yisapar Yosef, Estibasa Mra'al Aviyem, or by Yaged Yosef. But instead, the Torah uses the verb of by Yaveh Yosef, Estibasa Mra'al Aviyem. Yosef brought the Dibara'a to his father. To bring a dibur, to bring a dibara'a, is something that I don't think we would necessarily choose as our first choice of a verb when describing how I'm saying over something to you. If somebody says, you know what, so-and-so told me about a certain person, some Lashonara, I wouldn't say, he brought Lashonara to me. I would say, he told me Lashonara. So why does the Torah say, Vayaveh, he brought, as if there is an actual physical, tangible matter that was brought as cargo to his father. So what I think is the pshat is that there is a very basic misunderstanding when it comes to speaking all dvarim that are nageya the path. Lashon Hara and Rechilos and Maiti Shemra and Nivopet, all of these matters, there's a basic misconception about the nature of speech which allows a person to be very makele when it comes to these things. A person believes in his mind that when I speak Lashon Hara, all I'm doing is I'm just speaking, it's just words, it's schmoozing. It has really no effect. It's not something that's tangible. It's not something you can put your finger on. It's just hot air. All I'm doing is we're talking. We're enjoying a conversation. But it's not something real. It's not something that's tangible and that a person can say, you know, this is what he said. This is something that, you know, was done. It's not done. It's schmozen. And in your heart and in your mind, when you're talking, you're just doing some innocent chatter, which is not really doing anything major other than releasing some air. And because of that, whereas people would never, ever in a million years eat chazer, or a person would never do certain averes chamurais, People that are very from, people that are Shemar Torah Mitzvahs, there are red lines that are drawn that we would never be Mechal Shabbos. But yet when it comes to Lashon Hara, which we all know about, there are no bigger campaigns since the Chavitz Chaim, you know, began his campaign against, against Lashon Hara. There is no Yeshiva Bacher, there is no person in mainstream Orthodox Judaism that's unaware of the concept of Lashon Hara, of the Gaidala Isra of Lashon Hara, of the fact that you're over so many lavin and so many assays every time we speak Lashon Hara. But yet, it's something that, as much as we try to 
stop ourselves from speaking Lashonara. As much as we go through all types of, uh, of plans and schemes, I won't speak Lashonara from two to three, and I'm going to uh, learn Shmir Salashon every day, and I'm going to listen to Shirim every day, and I'm going to do whatever I can not to speak Lashonara, but yet, for most of us, it's still challenging, and for some of us, we do it very, very frequently. And the question is, why is that? If Lashonara is really such a terrible Avera, and it is, it's one of the reasons for the Churban Beis HaMikdash, Sinas and Lashonara. So then why is it that it's so common, and it's so acceptable, socially almost, that if you speak to me, Lashonara, if I saw you eating a cheeseburger, I would be very upset with you. I wouldn't probably consider you to be from. But yet people that speak Lashonara are regular, mainstream, you know, accepted, everything is wonderful. You, you still look at the person as being from, even though you just got finished speaking Lashonara. And we look at ourselves as being from, even though we spoke Lashonara. Why is it that there is, you know, this big schism in halacha, at least in the way we perceive it, between these types of dvarim that are nagel apet and other types of averis that are nagel aguf? And the reason is, in my mind at least, that because we don't consider it when we're speaking as doing anything. It's just a dibar ba'alma. It's not considered psychologically to be something that's at all physical. I didn't do a physical act of eating something or committing some sort of, you know, avera of arayas, avera I haven't done any avedizara. It's not something physical that I'm doing. It's just schmoozing. Schmoozing is acceptable. Schmoozing is not an avera in our minds. Because there's no real, actual, concrete maisah of avera that we've performed. And I believe that the Torah on this parsha, which is really one of the major epicenters of the Avera of Lashon Hara and the aftermath of what could come about as a result of Lashon Hara, the Torah chooses carefully the verb Vayavei. It's not just merely a Misa of Sipur. Or a Maisa of Haggadah, or a Maisa of Amira, or a Maisa of Dibur. It's a Maisa of Habah. There is as if Yosef brought an entire suitcase. When he spoke Lashon Hara, he was Vayave as the There was a tangible element to the Lashon Hara. There was something that was physical that was going to come about as a result of this Lashon Hara. The Lashon Hara itself has real concrete consequences much more than we could ever imagine. Whenever we speak Lashon Hara, what we're doing is, we're not just merely schmoozing, we're actually creating destruction. And we're actually shooting bullets from our mouth and missiles. And that's Vayave. Just like if I would bring you something, if I bring a gift, you'd use that Lashon Vayave. If I bring you Lashon Hara, I'm also bringing you something physical. I'm doing something. Now what am I doing? So the Nefesh HaChayim in Shar Aleph, Parak Yud Gimel, he explains the Apostle in Amos. The Apostle says in Parak Dalet, Apostle Yud Gimel, Umagid Lada Masechai. When we die, 
a person will be told everything that he spoke in his life. That's the simple shot in the pasuk that you will be informed of whatever you spoke. You know, in the olden days, in the times of Amos, or in the times of Nerefesh HaChayim even, it was a, probably a hard concept to understand how everything that I spoke could be actually, you know, remembered, and there could be a transcript of that. I mean, so many years and so many conversations. You can't visualize that. I mean, the Rabbi Shem Lekal Yachol, but it's be hard to really, you know, wrap your brain around that. But in our day and age, with the advent of everything being recorded and everything being known, if I want to check a text message and find out whether Pliny sent me a text message in, you know, in 2007, I could probably contact AT&T and they could give me an entire transcript of every single text that I sent and everything that was said in the text. And there are voicemails that are probably recorded forever somewhere. If I want to retrieve a voicemail, I could probably do that even if I deleted it. Everything that we say is somehow able to be recorded. And you can have an exact transcript of so much. Every email, everything that we've done, we see how everything could be recorded exactly to the second. The exact timestamp of when it was said and what was said and how it was said. Everything could be retrieved. And that's what's going to happen in Shamayim. Whatever we have said, the Pasuk and Amma says, we will be reminded of and it will be tremendously embarrassing for us. Can you imagine everything that we said and we thought that we were just, you know, talking between the two of us. And we, of course, have to, you know, give the proper outcome of that. Of course, whatever we said, you know, should not be shared with anybody. This is just, I'm telling you, and it's not to be shared with anybody else. And all of a sudden, Shemaim, there's going to be a broadcast that whatever you said in private or in public against somebody, thinking that the person would never find out, suddenly everybody knows what you've said, and you're going to know what you said, and it's going to be the biggest busyness. But the Nevershachayim says, you know what it really means, not just merely a transcript of what we have said in our life, but you're going to actually see the effects of what you've said in your life. What does that mean? So the Nevershachayim speaks, as he does a lot in the Nevershachayim, in a very, you know, cosmic, metaphysical type of way. Nevershachayim always says how whatever we do, every Abir that we do, in speech especially, is something which we don't know. But when we do an Abir, and let's say we speak Lashon Hara, it doesn't just stay within the confines of planet Earth. What happens is we have launched and unleashed some terrible, epic, fierce typhoon of evil into the hemispheres and into the stratospheres and into the and into the ether. It goes up to Shamayim and it creates some sort of major takola in the upper heavens and then it comes down with a fury and it could blast right back into planet Earth and create devastation and klala throughout the entire world. So sometimes we'll be listening to the radio, let's say, and we'll be reading or hearing about a you know, a typhoon that hits some sort of, uh, some part of the world that we've never heard of. And we read about, I don't know, maybe a very bad storm that has affected many hundreds of lives, you know, in different parts of the country. 
or some sort of um, typhoon or a uh, tsunami and all of these things, oh, that's interesting, you know, it's not Nagayami, it's not, you know, it didn't happen in the tri-state area, so we keep, you know, turning the page of the newspaper, or we scroll down on the internet, or we, we, we change the channel on the radio, but the Nefesh HaChayim says that that might very well be from our Dibur. When we have spoken Lashon Hara, it creates a terrible boomerang effect. It goes up to Shemayim, and it comes back down with such a force that it creates devastation, that we might have been responsible for killing thousands of people, maybe, because we spoke Lashonara. We never, we never knew that. No one ever stopped it. It doesn't say on the radio report, you know, and this is as a result of Rabbi Bamberger speaking Lashonara. It doesn't tell us that. But in Shemaim, it might. We could go up to Shemaim and say, Bamberger, you killed a thousand people. And when did I kill a thousand people? Well, you spoke Lashonara that day. And that created a boomerang and it came back and it killed many people. And that's because of your Lashonara. That too will be told to you on the Yaimah Mavis. So that's a Vayavah Yaisif. That's a physical, there's physical evidence of what you do when you speak. It's not just that you're lobbing words, you're lobbing bombs. Because the bombs could go and do an you're wreaking destruction on civilization every time you speak Lashon Hara. But without getting into the metaphysical it's much more direct. You don't have to say, well, it goes up and it comes down. It goes straight. Because when we speak Lashon Hara about other people, what we're doing is we are directly shooting a missile at that person. It's a vayave. It's mamish. It's a physical act of destruction. There is no real major difference between whether or not I I speak about somebody or I take out a gun and I actually shoot the person. And let me explain what I mean. When somebody tells me lashonara, and this happens sometimes, people tell me something about a person. Okay, let's say they say that the person just will keep it very neutral. The person's not smart. This buffer, you know, he's really, he's dumb. Okay? And it's not true. It, it might be true, but let's say most of the time Lashonar is not true. Okay? So let's say it's it's not true. He's really smart. or He's, uh, he's a B student. Doesn't mean he's, he's not smart. He's just, you know, maybe he doesn't try as hard. But he's a smart boy. But now in my mind, because somebody told me that, they planted a seed in my brain that makes me look at that person as being not smart. And now people, you know, will call me up for a shidduch reference maybe and say, what do you know about this boy? Oh, he's a very nice boy. Is he smart? Mm, I don't know. You know, you know, ask me another, what's your next question? What do you mean, he's not smart? Well, you know, I, I don't, you know, why do I say that? Why am I even hesitating? Because somebody put in my mind that he's not smart. Had that person not, I would have said, yeah, he's a very smart boy, he's a good boy. Smart boy, good boy, fine boy, everything is good. Checks out. But because somebody put that in my mind, it's tainting my perception of that person. When, he, when I see him walk down the hall, maybe in my mind I'll look at him as a, you know, as, oh, there goes that guy that's not smart. When somebody calls me, you know, about a job, they want to give them a job, or they want to, you know, they want to know if they should be a partner with them in business. I say, well, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe you should rethink that a little bit. But he's really a smart boy, just somebody killed him. 
somebody took out a gun when they said to me he's not smart and they have unleashed in my mind a new vision of this person and that's a very very frightening thing because what you've done could really literally affect the course of that person's life had he not told me that Maybe I would have given this boy a glowing report. He would have gotten this girl. She would have been a fantastic wife for him. He would have lived happily ever after. But because I said something, you know, because that person said something to me and I wasn't able to convey a positive image of that person because of that Lashonara, now he ended up not marrying that girl. Now he ended up marrying a different girl. And his life had a different ending than it could have had. Or he didn't get the job and now he has problems with Parnassa. Etc., etc., and that is an act of ayavim. That's a physical act of destruction. That is what you're doing every single time you speak Lashon Hara. That is the kayak of a dibur. Dibur is not just dibur ba'alma. Dibur is a hashchas of alma. You're creating a hashchas. You're creating devastation and destruction when we speak Lashon Hara. It's something that people don't realize. We have a hetter, we give a big hetter, a big OU every time we speak Lashonara because we have every justification for it. We think it's from, it's good, it's fine, and it's not important. But if we would know what we're really doing, if we would know how physical an act it was, it's much worse than eating a cheeseburger. It's much worse. A cheeseburger you eat and it's done. With this you have created devastation galore. I think everybody knows... You know, the story about the person that wanted a kapara for Lashon Hara. And he goes to his rob and he says, you know, it's before Yom Kippur. He says, I want to get a kapara for all the Lashon Hara that I spoke this year. The rabbi says, no problem. He says, bring a chicken. So says, good, good. You know, there's kaparas going on outside. That's not a problem. So he goes out, he buys a kapara chicken. He brings it to the rob. He says, okay, is that it? He says, almost. He says, take all the feathers every single last feather there are thousands of feathers in a chicken pluck them all out and put them in a bag which he did he said okay now it's good soon says it's a nice windy day out right he says yeah go outside and blow those feathers all over and let them go throughout the countryside hundreds of miles in every direction says good I did that now says good now gather them all up try to gather every last feather and if you can then you got your kapara and of course what that means is that when we speak Lashon Hara, there's a concept in the Gemara in Chesed Abatim of Chavrcha Chavr If I have a friend, he has a friend, and he has a friend, and before you know it, it spreads all over. It go in, you know, I think in the vernacular it's called going viral. Right? You have a, so you put something up on YouTube, and all of a sudden it goes viral. You get like 10 million hits. How did that happen? Because I like what I saw. I send it to three of my closest friends. Three of my closest friends send it to three of their closest friends. And the magic of mathematics is that you can suddenly become, you know, have millions of people from a, from merely, you know, starting out very, very small. But, you know, the, the pyramid gets greater and greater as you go. That's how, you know, a lot of these pyramid schemes work. You know, Amway and all these things, you know, you just, you start out selling and all of a sudden you have a lot of people underneath you and you have, all of a sudden you're making millions of dollars because of one person that you taught. And that's how Lashonara is. If you go and I say to one person that this person's not smart, then that person's going to tell a lot of people and those people are going to know before you know it, the whole world is going to think this guy's not smart. Or this guy's not from, or this guy's not Eruch, or this guy is not uh, you know, shaymer certain certain halachas. 
And this is how things go. And you can never, ever atone for that. What are you going to do? Once you've spoken bad about somebody, it's, it's gone. It's out of your control. It's gone viral. And you can't, the person can never get his reputation back. There's a great story that's told about the Rashash. In the back of the Gemaras, there's one of the Ephraim, is called the Rashash. And he always has like the, a different girsa. If you ever want to check a girsa, he had, it was a very wealthy man. So he had a, a lot of svarim, and he, when svarim were very hard to come by, but he was so wealthy, he was able to afford like every safer. So he was able to find different girsais, and he, he, he made a lot of corrections in the Gemara and, 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 and other girsa. One time, the Rashash, he used to lend money out to people with his vast fortune. And somebody went and borrowed like a Heinra from him, I don't know, $10,000. And he wrote a star, and he basically gave him the money, and, um, and that was it. Then he came back like a few months later, this guy, and, and repaid the Rashash. He gave him an envelope with $10,000 in it, but the Rashash was in the middle of learning, so he stripped the, the envelope in the back of his Gemara, and about probably where the Rashash is, and, uh, and, and that's where, uh, and that's where the money sat. But he was so, you know, engrossed in his learning that he forgot about the fact that the guy repaid him. And then, you know, weeks passed and he says to the guy, you know, you know, it's about time that you repaid me. So he says, what do you mean? I, I did repay you. He says, I, I don't remember. I still have the, you know, the star is, the, you know, the IOU is still by me. And I don't remember you repaying me. And I, you know, and whatever. And then they were having, you know, a conversation about this and word spread. And everybody in town believed the Rashash, and they thought that this guy was a crook, and they thought that he was a chutzpinyak for you borrow money from, from the Rashash, you don't repay it, and not only that, you lie about not repaying it. And he was basically like driven out of town, nobody wanted him to dive in their shul, and he was looked at as he was branded and labeled a Ganif. And all of a sudden, the Rashash, you know, one fine day, he was looking in the back of his Gemara, and there was an envelope there with $10,000 with that date on it, and he felt, like, terrible. Because, you know, he killed the guy's reputation. He didn't do it by himself, but word got out, and as a result of this, you know, of, of this, you know, neglect of, of you know, of, of remembering and, and, and making a note of the fact that the money was repaid, this, no one wanted to give him an Ali. Everybody thought he was a crook, and you know, he felt so bad, the Rashash. So he went to the person and he said, I see that you gave me the money. Please be Michael me. He says, you know, I think there's a famous guy that once, uh, you know, also like the, there was like the paper said terrible about him and people were talking about him and finally he was, he was found to be innocent. Like, you know, the, the, the judge passed him that he was right. So I, the quote that he has is, that's really nice. Like, where do I get my reputation back? Like, where do I go? Is there like a place that I can go? I got my money back. But where do I get my reputation back? And that's what this person told the Rashash. Says, you know, great. You, you, you know, you're Michael. You're, you're, you told me that I'm right. But my reputation is finished. I'm, I'm, I'm a Ghanif. Everyone thinks I'm a Ghanif. He says, no problem. I'm going to go to every shul and every shtibel in town, and I'm going to announce, give a clap, and say that he was right and I was wrong. He says, no, everyone's going to think he's, he's mamish at Sadiq Rashash. Because, you know, he really, it's not true, but he wants to save the guy's reputation. So he's going and saying that he wasn't, but he really... So Rashash thought about it for a second, and he said, okay, I have the one Eitzah, the only Eitzah that I could do to save your reputation. What did he do? Rashash had a daughter, 
that was of marriageable age, and I'm sure he could have gotten the best guy in Lakewood, he could have gotten anyone that he would want, or the best guy in Lander even, and the uh, and this this guy had a had a son who was also in the parsha, and never in a million years would this have been a natural shidduch that a shachlan would call the rashash about, but. Rashash says, in order to save your reputation, the only way that I could prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this is the truth is that I am agreeing that I will be Mashiach let them go out. If they like each other, I'm, I'm asking them they should get married. And they did. That was the only way that the Rashash was able to th- devise a plan to save the guy's reputation. But short of that, how do we do it? If we spoke Lashonar about somebody we've killed their reputation, there's really not much that we could do to save it. So we, the only thing that we do is we forget about it. That's what we do. Like we do with all of our affairs. You know, it's, you know, it goes by, time passes, and we forget about it. But the damage has been done. The Vayave Yosef was done. Vayave Yosef is the bottom row You know what Rashi says? Rashi says that... It was Mida Kineged Mida because what did he speak about the brothers? He said that they ate Abraham and Achai and that they were engaging in, in certain Arayas and they were calling the Bnei Ashvachis Avodim. So Mida Kineged Mida, you know, he had the Amais of Asians, Paititha, Mida Kineged Mida, about the Arayas and the Abraham and Achai was Tarab Tarab Yosef and the, um, and the Shvachis, he was Le'evidim Kar Yosef. What do we see from that Rashi? Amazing. The Mida Kineged Mida was a debor to the real world. Mida connected Mida. I said that they were eating Avram and Achai. So you know what happened? Tarab Tarab Yasef. I said that they were engaging in Arias. Mida connected Mida. There was an actual real life, you know, seduction of Yasef in the real world. Because there's no difference in Akadish Baruch's mind and in the world's mind between Lashonara and reality. If I say it, it means it's true. If I say something, it means it's true. I said a great part yesterday, um, if I must say so myself. And I think I must, because no one else told me it was a great part. But um, there's a Chavis Halvavis. The Chavis Halvavis says that a, a crazy thing, I mean, this is something that if, if all we spoke about today was not enough to stop us from speaking Lashon Hara, I think this Chayvah Salavavis might just do the trick if we could just remember the Chayvah Salavavis every day. Chayvah Salavavis says that when you speak Lashon Hara about Reuven, so all of your mitzvahs that you've done your whole life you daven, then you've learned, then you shook a lulav and esther again, you did uh, tashlech, and you did everything that you did. All of that goes, moves over from your column into Reuben's column, who was the subject of your Lashon Hara. Not only that, but all of Reuben's Averis that he's done his entire life moves right over into your column. You lose all of your mitzvahs to the person that you spoke Lashon Hara about, and that person that you spoke Lashon about gives you all of his Averis. And when I told this over in a, in a shir yesterday, somebody says, that's not fair. It's not fair. Why does he get all my mitzvahs? Why do I get all his Averis? Not fair. So I said a svara, and I think it's true. When I speak Lashon about Reuven, why are people believing me? 
because I'm Rabbi Bamberger. They think that I'm a big, you know, I'm a rabbi and I got Tyra, I got mitzvah. So all of my credibility is basically backing up what I said about Reuven. So basically, I have tremendous leverage against Reuven and the fact that people look at me as being a respectable, honest person with integrity. And I used all of that integrity when I spoke badly about Reuven. So that means that Reuven, Mida Kineged Mida, because he was damaged by all of my Tyre Mitzvahs, he gets my Tyre Mitzvahs. And Mitzat Shani, when I speak about Reuven, people are inclined to believe the Lashonara that I'm saying about him because there ain't no great Sadiq. He has so many Averis anyway. He's a bum. So people are more inclined. So I'm using that leverage that knowing that Reuven is not exactly, you know, uh, the stipler. So people know that he, you know, he has certain averas. He's not. He's a weak person, and he has a lot of chisrainus, as we all do. And so I'm using that also against him. People say, oh, "Yeah, Reuben. You know, he was. You know, if I thought of him as a B, now he's a D." So because I was using his averas also as leverage against him, midah kineged midah, I get all of his averas. It's a good story. So otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Why do I lose all my mitzvahs then? And I get all of this out there as well. It's crazy. It's crazy. But it makes sense. That's the Mida Kedagan Mida. You've used your whole, all of your entire mitzvahs, you extended upon killing him, so let him have it. And all of his out there is I have used against him, so I get them. That's the Kayach of Lashonara. Lashonara is real. Lashonara is not just stam, it's real, it's a reality. So next time we, we're about to speak Lashonara, we trash a guy. Why do we trash him? Probably we don't like him too much. So if we don't like him, do we really want to clean out our entire treasury and give it to him? Probably not. Do we want to get all of his avers that he's been working so hard on his whole life and get them in our treasury? Uh-uh. So why in the world would we speak Lashonara? It's a mishigas. It is a, it's an act of insanity if we understand in these terms. But yet we do it again and again and again. And I knew this Chavisalos for many years and I still, unfortunately, you know, once in a while give in to the title of Lashonara. And it's a, it's mamish an act of insanity. But that's what it is. It's a Vayave Yaisiv. It's a reality. There's a tangible effect and consequence to every word that comes out of my mouth. It's a brick. It's a missile. It's a bomb. And it's wreaking real life devastation, but we don't realize that. And that's why it's so important to hazard these concepts, because if we don't, then we're never going to realize it. And that's why the Chavetz Chaim made it his life's business to be Megala this. It's not, a, it's not the Chavetz People think, you know, the Chavetz Chaim was the one that, you know, was Mechadish, the, the laws of, of Lashon Hara. You know, before Chavetz Chaim came about, it was Mutter to speak Lashon Hara. Chavetz Chaim, you know, was Mechadish. In fact, when the Chavetz Chaim wrote the Sefer Shemir Salashen, they said to him, Rebbe, you know, what are we going to talk? How can we talk now? You know, what, you, you made it Asr to talk. He says, no, now it's Mutter to talk. He says, before I wrote the Sefer, then it was Asr to talk because you didn't know it was Mutter, what was Asr. Now that we know the halachas, now we're able to know what's mutter, what's also. The Chavetz Chaim, they said, was, you know, used to schmooze a lot. The Chavetz Chaim wasn't a person that sat there, you know, mute all day. The Chavetz Chaim talked, but he knew how to talk. It's an art to learn how to talk about things that are, you know, interesting and things that are, but not about other people. 
could talk about ideas, we could talk about things, we could talk about, you know, ambitions, but don't talk about other people. When you talk about other people, you're committing acts of murder. That's what it is. Nothing short of that. It sounds very drastic, but that's the truth. But the Chavetz Chaim wasn't mechadid. These are psukim in the Torah. There's many psukim in the Torah that speaks to this. And there's Rambam's about it. There's Gemara's about it. There's Rishonim. There's Afreinim. But the Chavetz Chaim just, you know, reminded the world and made it his business to be Megala, this, that people tend to forget because either it's inconvenient to remember or because... You know, because they, Pasha didn't realize how important it is. But it's so important that we have to chazer for ourselves so that we know how bad it is. And it's not just Lashonara in talking, it's Lashonara in writing. If you write an email to somebody and you speak Lashonara about a person, or you text to somebody and it's Lashonara, that's also Lashonara. It's the same thing. It's not better because you, you scribble it on a piece of paper. It doesn't make it better. It's also a bomb. Just to underscore the power of Dibur, there's a gra that we all have to know. It's an amazing gra. It's also in this week's parasha. It's in Paraglamitas Basak Yud Beis. Fatis Fiseyo Bivigdai Lemar Shachvaimi. Eshes Paitifa grabs Yosef by the lapel, by the garment, by his jacket. And Lemar, simple translation is, and she said, Shachvayimi, sleep with me. And of course, he leaves his garment by her and he runs out. Fret the grub. What's this word, Lamar? Lamar. It doesn't say Be'amra, Shachvayimi. It says Lamar. What does Lamar mean? Lamar is a word which implies Lamar. Lamar, it's actually interesting what exactly that means. There's a machlek is what the word Lamar is. I mean, it probably appears, you know, thousands of times throughout the Torah, but it's not really clear what it means. Some people say, the Pashtun says it means Lamar to say over. Some people say Lamar means, quote. I've seen there's this Kadmainim that say that, you know, there's no word, and I quote in the Torah. But whenever, it's interesting, every time you'll find the word Lamar in the Torah, you could put like a quotation mark, Right before the next pasuk, Lamar always means, and this is what was said. But it also the more common understanding of Lamar is Lamar lachirim, that when I say it over to you and I want you to repeat it to somebody else or to say it over yourself, that is the word Lamar. Doesn't it's not by Yaimer, it's Lamar to say over to cause somebody to say it over. Zuk the grab b'shem the Urayim. The Urayim says that when a person says something that's wrong. When a person says, let's say, some nibble pet. Okay, so you think, okay, there's a nibble pet, but what's the big deal? Again, deeper bauma, it's not a big deal. So the lushan of the Uraim is that when a person releases some bad word from his mouth, it makes a reshum, and it gives kayach la sitra achra, shlita if I say a bad word, if I say a curse, okay, and the curse, let's say, implies something really nasty, something really usher, what that has done is I have thereby given a license to the citra, to the dark side, if you will, to be shaylate on me to do that thing that I just said. 
So if I say, uh, you know, a nivel pair about a certain, a certain, uh, about a, a maisa of arayas, so what I've done is, I've given the citra after the kayak to be shaylet over me in this, and now I'm sort of like in the Yetzirah's shackles to do that Avera. I might not do that Avera, but at least it becomes more of a reality for me to do that Avera because I, I emitted that word from my mouth, so now suddenly I am sort of under the Yetzirah's spell, and I could very easily be lured into doing that very Misa that I had just spoken about. As I like to say, Fahirayim. Based on that Yireim, the Gros says that that's the Pshat in this Pasuk. She grabbed onto his coat, Lamar, and she says, please repeat the word Shachvayimi. She wanted Yosef to say the word Shachvayimi so that he should be able to have the ability to do the Maisa. She understood the Sefer Yireim. She said, if I can only get Yosef to say those two words of Shachvayimi, he will do it. Yosef, Baruch Hashem, was able to tear away from her and not say those words. But she wanted him to say those words because she understood that if she could only get him to say, Lamar, Shachvayimi, then he would have to actually be Shachvayimi. Such is the power of Dibur. That if a person merely says it, it's a Dibur Bamu cares. You don't know. I don't know. We don't know. What goes into every time we speak? The power that we're giving the Sahara, the power that we're giving the Sitra the destruction and devastation that we are able to unleash in the Ilama Islamala and in the Ilama Islamata. That's the Dibur. Dibur are mamish. There's no stronger weapon than the tongue. It's been said in many different ways, but that's the, that's the truth. Hachayim ba'amavis biyad The tongue possesses the ability to allow somebody to live and it can also allow somebody to die if it kill people. When I was in Eretz Yisrael, I just remembered a couple of years back I was in a yeshiva and I was supposed to speak on, on behalf of, of, our, of our yeshiva. They gave me the slot. I don't think it's like the most desirable slot, but it's the slot right after davening. You know, but while the guys are like, you know, we had a few Rosh Hashivas this week speak at that slot, and you know, everyone was like, I think, at least myself, I was like hungry, I was getting hungry, I, you know, like, the speakers were starting to look like delicious to me, like I, I was very hungry, you know, like you don't want to speak at that slot. You just want to basically, you know, you want to just uh, allow people to daven and then go to breakfast. But that was the slot that I was given. But that morning, uh, and, I, and I had forfeited my good breakfast in the hotel to come to that slot. That's another reason why I didn't like that slot. And uh, you don't want to miss an Israeli breakfast in the hotels. And, um, okay, but I was there anyway. The Rashiva comes over to me right before I'm about to speak and says, do you mind if I speak instead of you this morning? I said, mm, you know, okay, fine. So um, he gets up and he speaks. And I'm not going to say exactly the Russian because you probably would figure out which Rashiva it was if I did. But basically he said, and this was the, the night before, the day before, meaning in that morning's papers, there was a story about how a boy in, part, in, in I think in the northern part of Eretz Yisrael, um, was uh, bullied by his friends on Facebook. You know, uh, Facebook is something that none of us should, should have, should have an account in. And if you have an account, do me a personal favor and shut it. 
It's not, first of all, I mean, it's wrong in a, in a thousand different ways it's wrong. But the least of which, the most superficial reason is because when a girl, you know, gets proposed your name and she him. Again, I'm not, I don't want to be superficial, but I'm giving you a practical etzel and isa, you know, and, and this happens a lot. If you have a Facebook account and the person Googles your name today, that's the first reference. Before they go to me, Rebbe Shmulevitz, they, they, they Google you. And if it says that he has an account on Facebook, then basically you've passed yourself like, you know, 80% of from girls out there. That's just the way, because, because when you're on Facebook, what that means is basically you're, you're, you're engaged in this world to a degree that you shouldn't be. And it has a lot of bad ramifications. I'll give you one, just one small muscle about what could happen on Facebook. There were these kids in his class, I don't know if he was in eighth grade or he was in high school, doesn't matter, and they kept on saying, you know, you're, 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 you know, you're a bad kid and you're stupid and you're this and you're that. Why don't you go kill yourself? One of them put on their face, on his Facebook you know, on a message on Facebook for him. And he listened to them. He went and he killed himself. So this Rashiva was saying to people, saying that, you know, you're, he was basically saying, don't use Facebook, and if there's any bullies in yeshiva, come to me and I'm going to take care of them. He says, and if you are being bullied, and you're thinking about suicide, Rahman Oslan, he says you should know that's not something you want to do. Once you're buried, says it's it's cold and lonely and very boring down there. You don't want to go down there. But it's a big problem. In Yeshivas and Basyakas, you know, it's bullying is a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing, bullying. You have basically, you know, Lashanhara, you have killed somebody, literally. Sometimes, you know, you think you're joking around and you're just stuffing him and you're just like, you're just, you didn't mean it really, you didn't mean it, you know, you know, you didn't really mean that you should kill himself, but he went and killed himself because he thought you meant it real and he, you don't understand the psychology of a near-duff. A near-duff when people, when he feels that everybody is like trying to get him and everybody is like, you know, making clicks against him, there is something that, you know, he basically feels like he's all alone, he doesn't want to live anymore. This is what Dibur does. Dibur causes death. You can literally kill somebody with your mouth and with your schemes and with your plots. You think it's innocent, you think you want to, it's Nakama, you just want to get back, you want to teach the guy a lesson. Be very careful because you can literally kill people with your mouth. Once we're on the topic of Dibor, Lara, we have to give a little, a few minutes of equal time to Dibor Lataif. Dibor Lataif, if you're speaking about bad, you have to always speak about the Tzad There's a nice word of Shlomo Arabach that somebody came to him and said, you know, he bought a new apartment. So, Shlomo you know, very nice. And then, you know, that night, they were told him the address, and you know, unexpected, there was a knock on the door, and it was Rabbi Zalman. Rabbi Zalman came to visit this new apartment. So the person, you know, couldn't believe it. He said, "What do I owe the, you know, the big covet of having a Shiva come and visit me?" He says, "Well, you know, people give ayinharas all the time." He says, "You know, probably you had, you know, people you bought a new apartment, no house, and other people are giving ayinharas all the time." He says, "I came to give an ayin on the apartment." 
says if there's ayin ra, there's also an ayin taiva. I want to go and look at the Yavani, show it in every room. Wow, this is a bathroom, it's really nice, it's big, this is a dining room, very malchastic, and you know, and, 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 and a nice merpasta. So I came to give an ayin taiva. If there's bad that could be done with the eye, then you can do good with the eye. Rav Nachman Breslov used to say, if you believe that you could destroy, you also have to believe that you could build. And when we have a mouth that could destroy, we have to know that the same mouth that could destroy could build such great things. We have no idea the ability that we have with our mouth when we learn Tyra with our mouth. We think, oh, you know what, okay, I had a good first day. Did you realize that you just became a billionaire after a first day there? The Gros says that every single word of Tyra that you learn is a mitzvah of Hamatayra. I heard B'Shem the Chavitz Chaim that on Shabbos, Every word of Torah that you learn is Tariyad Mitzvah, because Shabbos is Shkuluk Negev Kulam. That means if you sit and learn for a minute, so a minute, I don't know how many words come out of our mouth in a minute, but let's say a hundred words for argument's sake. So, during the week, I should always do the, bring a calculator before I do this, but whatever it is, it's 613 times, it's, it's, it's 100, 100 Mitzvahs a minute. On Shabbos, it's 613 times 100. What is that? 61,300. 61, okay? That's a minute. An hour is that time 60. If you, tonight after, after the Sudha, you come down to the basement, you learn five hours, I don't know how many, that's a million mitzvahs. And Tamatira is the richest of all the mitzvahs. With our mouth, we can create worlds. We could be trillionaires, we could be the Bill Gates of Shamayim with our mouth. The tefillahs that we are able to utter. With our mouths. The Altav and Kalim used to say that the Rabbi Shalom, it was Kedai for the Rabbi Shalom to build this entire universe just for one person to say one Baruch Hu Baruch Shemai. One Baruch Hu Baruch Shemai is Kedai the entire universe. And then he said that a thousand Baruch Hu Baruch Shemais does not equal one Amin. You can imagine, so that means that every Amin that we say is like a thousand universes that were Kedai. He says, and a thousand Amins doesn't equal, equal one Amin Yeshmei Rabba Mubarak. It's amazing. Every time we say Amin Yeshmei Rabba, like we think, you know, we're half asleep, if we even remember to say it, and, you know, when we say Amin Yeshmei Rabba, you're building a million universes. What's a thousand times a thousand? Million. Okay. A, a million universes we're building every Amin Yeshmei Rabba a million the Rebbe Yishlam says wow it's Kedai for me to have built one million universes for one Amin Yeshmei Rabba amazing with our mouth what do we do it was a deeper Baalmo we built a, mil, a million universes with every Amin Yeshmei Rabba and a davening you could you know catch many Amin Yeshmei Rabbas many Amins many Baruch Lubach but the more important thing that I want to talk about with the Kaya Hadibur is not the from stuff about the the Taira and the Tefillah. That's important. We all know that. But do you realize that if instead of speaking Lashon Hara about somebody else, you go over to that person, you put your arm around his shoulder and you say, you know what? You're a good guy. I like you. You know what that has done? You know that you've built worlds that you could never imagine if I would destroy him with my mouth I could build him with my mouth I could change a person's whole 
way of looking at himself in a mirror because I said something nice. I say, wow, you look good today. Oh, you went to Miami, nice tan. Now you look good. Wow, you did something different. You lost weight. You look really good about it. You know, make somebody feel good. If you make, why, we're so cheap. We have such tzaras ayin when it comes to saying to somebody else a nice thing. We think in our mind, you know, if I say something nice about him, that's going to somehow take away from me. If I say he looks good, that means I might not look so good. If I say he's, you know, wow, that was a great passion you asked today and share, you know, that means that I'm like less than you. So what if I'm less than you? Good, let me be less than you. But I could build a person with my mouth. I can, just like I could destroy you with my mouth, I could make you with my mouth. I could create a person that felt really lousy about himself, that felt like he was worthless, and I'd be able to make him feel like a million bucks. One of my favorite stories is, and I think I knew this person, I don't remember if sometimes, you know, as time passed, I don't remember if I actually knew this firsthand or, or maybe I heard it. But a friend of mine once said that Shikha is the best Bal Mahadish. Which means, you know, sometimes all, I forget, somebody, you know, told me, let's say, a bar from the Grah years ago, and, you know, it just, I, I forgot that the Grah said it, and then all of a sudden I think it's my Bart. So I'm like, Shikha, the fact that you forgot it, that's the best Bar Mahadish. Now it's my Bart. I was playing it with Shikha. <coughs> there was a story that's told about a person, an elder Bachar. A Bachar who was Nebuch, you know, older, he didn't find the Shidduch. And he was living in a basement in Brooklyn. I lived in a basement in Brooklyn for a couple of years when I was a buffer. And, you know, there are some good parts to it, which the rent is cheap. But it's very depressing, you know. There's like no windows. It's like, you know, you're basically living in a cave. And it's like, it's you know, if you were depressed, Stam, you're, you're really doubly depressed, you know, with, uh, with this. With living in a basement in Brooklyn. And it was Hanukkah time. And, you know, the days got shorter, it got dark out, it was gloomy, and this guy Nebuch was a, was a, was a elder of Bachar, he didn't have a wife, he didn't have children, he was lonely, and he smelled, you know, the smell of Lachis coming from upstairs, and wafting into his basement, and, you know, and then he heard, like, the, the doorbell ringing a lot, and there was a Hanukkah party going on, it was Hanukkah night, and people were coming in, the dreidels were spinning, and the music was going, and the latkes, and the, you know, the applesauce, and the whole nine yards, and this boy, this nebuch, this guy felt like, yeah. And then there was a knock on the door, between the house and the basement. And it was the wife of the family that lived upstairs. And he says, yes, what, what can I do for you? He says, we want to invite you up to join us at the Hanukkah party. So he says, okay, thank you. He goes down, he takes a shower, he gets dressed, he comes up, and he has an, a, a beautiful time. And then at the end of the party, you know, he's helping them, after the guests have left, he's helping them clear up. And he says, I want you to know something. Tonight was going to be the last night of my life. I had finished with life. An elder Bacher, down in the basement, without a family, without children, without anything. Hanukkah, nobody bothered to think about me. It was going to be the last night of my life. That was it. And then you knocked on the door. And you knocked on the door, and you invited me into your apartment, into your home. You allowed me to feel like a human being. You saved my life this evening. 
That is the power of the path. The power of merely saying, please come to our Hanukkah party, save the human being. And we could do this every single day. When we see somebody that's a little bit upset about something, talk to him. If you see somebody that's struggling in sheer, help him. If you see somebody that has some sort of financial issues, try to help him work it out. But you're saving people's lives with your tongue. That is the power of the path. And you know something else? That's what Hanukkah is all about. Hanukkah, which is coming up this week, the Gemara says, The nature of the days of Hanukkah, these eight days, it's about one thing or two things, Halal and Haidah. If you look through this Fasemis, he has like a whole, he has like, Many, many dozens of different shots and the difference between Hal and Haidah. But it's Hal and Haidah. And Rashi says, these are not days that are Asr Basiyas Palacha. The nature of the Yantav of Hanukkah is not one that we don't drive. We drive. It's not one that we don't, you know, do Malacha. We go to work. The only thing that determines what our Hanukkah is, is by the amount of Hal and Haidah that we give to the Rabbi Shalom during these days. It's like sort of like inflating a balloon. The more air you put into Hanukkah, the bigger the balloon it is. The more howl you give to the Rabbi Nishayim, the more haidah you feel towards the Rabbi Nishayim, the greater the yamta of Hanukkah becomes. Because that's the kayach of Dibor. And that's what Hanukkah is all about. And that's what Hanukkah teaches us. That we have to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for everything. And we have to share in whatever bracha that we have in life with others. We have to include others in our simcha of Hanukkah. We have to invite like that family invited that elder Bachar, that's how we have to invite other people into our homes. That's what Hanukkah is, to sing together, to dance together, to join together. That's the Kayach Agav, I just want to invite everybody on the first night of Hanukkah. I don't know the exact times we'll post it, but everyone's invited to my home um, for a beautiful tish with singing and I don't know if there's going to be room for dancing but with singing and, and a lot of good food and hopefully you'll bring the ruach but that's the kayach and I expect to see everyone there there's no excuses but that's the kayach of Hanukkah that's the kayach of a person in this universe to have a path HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us the ultimate weapon it's a weapon lara. But it's likewise a weapon with height. As evil a weapon as it is, that's how fantastic a weapon it is. And it's our job in life to choose hachayim and to reject the mothers. And the more we work on this, the better we'll be, the happier we'll be, the better our families, our communities, our lives will be. Because we'll realize the bracha that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us is one to be shared and not one to be hoarded want to be able to allow other people to feel good about themselves and not to allow people to feel terrible about themselves. All of that is the gift of the tongue. And halavai, we should use our Lashen, L'chaim, V'loy, L'mavis. Have a good Shabbos.